Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 50 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father, but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Number 3. The difference that has been among Protestant writers about this doctrine is pleaded in the prejudice of it. Osiander and the entrance of the Reformation fell into a vain imagination that we were justified or made righteous with the essential righteousness of God communicated unto us by Jesus Christ. And whereas he was opposed herein with some severity by the most learned persons of those days to countenance himself in his singularity, he pretended that there were twenty different opinions amongst the Protestants themselves about the formal cause of our justification before God. This was quickly laid hold on by them of the Roman Church and is urged as a prejudice against the whole doctrine by Bellarmine, Vasquez, and others. But the vanity of this pretense of his has been sufficiently discovered, and Bellarmine himself could fancy but four opinions among them that seem to be different from one another, reckoning that of Osiander for one, the Justificat, Lib. 2, Cap. 1. But whereas he knew that the imagination of Osiander was exploded by them all, the other three that he mentions are indeed but distinct parts of the same entire doctrine. Wherefore, until of late, it might be truly said that the faith and doctrine of all Protestants was in this article entirely the same. For however they differed in the way, manner, and methods of its declaration, and too many private men were addicted unto definitions and descriptions of their own under pretense of logical accuracy in teaching, which gave an appearance of some contradiction among them. Yet in this they generally agreed that it is the righteousness of Christ and not our own on the account whereof we receive the pardon of sin, acceptance with God, are declared righteous by the gospel. 
and have a right and title unto the heavenly inheritance. Hereon, I say, they were generally agreed, first against the Papists, and afterwards against the Socinians. And where this is granted, I will not contend with any man about his way of declaring the doctrine of it. For we wholly concur with them, and subscribe unto all that they dispute about the making of us personally righteous and holy by the effectual grace of God against all merit of works and operations of our own free will, our sanctification being every way as much of grace as our justification, properly so called, and that in opposition unto the common doctrine of the Roman Church about the same matter, only they call this our being made inherently and personally righteous by grace sometimes by the name of justification, which we do not. And this is laid hold on as an advantage by those of the Roman Church who do not concur with them in the way and manner whereby we are so made righteous. But whereas by our justification before God, we intend only that righteousness whereon our sins are pardoned, wherewith we are made righteous in His sight, or for which we are accepted as righteous before Him. It will be hard to find any of them assigning of it unto any other cases than the Protestants do. So it is fallen out that what they design to prove we entirely comply with them in. But the way and manner whereby they prove it is made use of by the Papists unto another end, which they intended not. But as to the way and manner of the declaration of this doctrine amongst Protestants themselves, there ever was some variety and differences in expressions. Nor will it otherwise be whilst the abilities and capacities of men, whether in the conceiving of the things of this nature or in the expression of their conceptions, are so various as they are. And it is acknowledged that these differences of late have had by some as much weight laid upon them as the substance of the doctrine generally agreed in. Hence, some have composed entire books consisting almost of nothing but impertinent cavils at other men's words and expressions. But these things proceed from the weakness of some men and other vicious habits of their minds and do not belong unto the cause itself. And such persons, as for me, shall write as they do and fight on until they are weary. Neither has the multiplication of questions and the curious discussion of them and the handling of this doctrine wherein nothing ought to be diligently insisted on but what is directive of our practice, been much use unto the truth itself, though it has not been directly opposed in them. That which is of real difference among persons who agree in the substance of the doctrine may be reduced unto a very few heads, as, parentheses number one, there is something of this kind about the nature of faith, whereby we are justified, with its proper object in justifying and its use in justification. And in instance, we have herein not only of the weakness of our intellects in the apprehension of spiritual things, but also of the remainders of confusion and disorder in our minds. And least, how true it is that we know only in part and prophesy only in part whilst we are in this life. For whereas this faith is an act of our minds, put forth in the way of duty to God, yet many by whom it is sincerely exercised, and that continually, are not agreed either in the nature or proper object of it. 
Yet is there no doubt, but that some of them do differ amongst themselves about these things, have delivered their minds free from the prepositions of prejudices and notions derived from other artificial reasons imposed on them, and do really express their own conceptions as to the best and utmost of their experience. And, notwithstanding this difference, they do yet all of them please God in the exercise of faith, as it is their duty, and have that respect unto its proper object as secures both their justification and salvation. And if we cannot, on this consideration, bear with and forbear one another in our different conceptions and expressions of those conceptions about these things, it is a sign that we have a great mind to be contentious and that our confidences are built on very weak foundations. For my part, I had much rather my lot should be found among them who do really believe with the heart unto righteousness, though they are not able to give a tolerable definition of faith unto others, than among them who can endlessly dispute about it with seeming accuracy and skill, but are negligent in the exercise of it as their own duty. Wherefore, some things shall be briefly spoken of in this matter to declare my own apprehensions concerning the things mentioned without the least design to contradict or oppose the conceptions of others. Parentheses number two. There has been a controversy more directly stated among some learned divines of the Reformed churches, for the Lutherans are unanimous on the one side, about the righteousness of Christ that is said to be imputed unto us, for some would have this to be only his suffering of death, and the satisfaction which he made for sin thereby, and others include therein the obedience of his life also. The occasion, original, and progress of this controversy, the persons by whom it has been managed, with the writings wherein it is so, and the various ways that have been endeavored for its reconciliation, are sufficiently known unto all who have inquired into these things. Neither shall I mix myself herein in the way of controversy or in opposition unto others, though I shall freely declare my own judgment in it, so far as the consideration of the righteousness of Christ under this distinction is inseparable from the substance of the truth itself which I plead for. Parentheses number three. Some difference there has been also whether the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us or the imputation of the righteousness of Christ may be said to be the formal cause of our justification before God, wherein there appears some variety of expression among learned men who have handled this subject in the way of controversy with the Papists. The true occasion of the differences about this expression has been this and no other. Those of the Roman Church do constantly assert that the righteousness whereby we are righteous before God is the formal cause of our justification. And this righteousness, they say, is our own inerrant personal righteousness, and not the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us. Wherefore, they treat of this whole controversy, namely, what is the righteousness on the account whereof we are accepted with God, or justified, under the name of the formal cause of justification, which is the subject of the second book of Bellarmine concerning justification. In opposition unto them, some Protestants, contending that the righteousness wherewith we are esteemed righteous before God, 
and accepted with him is the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us and not our own inerrant imperfect personal righteousness have done it under this inquiry namely what is the formal cause of our justification which some have said to be the imputation of the righteousness of Christ some the righteousness of Christ imputed but what they designed herein was not to resolve this controversy into a philosophical inquiry about the nature of a formal cause, but only to prove that that truly belonged unto the righteousness of Christ in our justification, which the Papists ascribed unto our own under that name. That there is a habitual, infused habit of grace, which is the formal cause of our personal inerrant righteousness, they grant. But they all deny that God pardons our sins and justifies our persons with respect unto this righteousness as the formal cause thereof. Nay, they deny that in the justification of a sinner there either is or can be any inerrant formal cause of it. And what they mean by a formal cause in our justification is only that which gives the denomination unto the subject as the imputation of the righteousness of Christ does to a person that he is justified. Wherefore, notwithstanding the differences that have been among some in the various expression of their conceptions, the substance of the doctrine of the Reformed churches is by them agreed upon and retained entire. For they all agree that God justifies no sinner, absolves him not from guilt, nor declares him righteous, so as to have a title unto the heavenly inheritance, but with respect unto a true and perfect righteousness, as also that this righteousness is truly the righteousness of him that is so justified, that this righteousness becomes ours by God's free grace and donation, the way on our part whereby we come to be really and effectually interested therein being faith alone, and that this is the perfect obedience or righteousness of Christ imputed unto us, and these things, as they shall be afterwards distinctly explained, is contained the whole of that truth, whose explanation and confirmation is the design of the ensuing discourse. And because those by whom this doctrine in the substance of it is of late impunged, derive more from the Socinians than the Papists, and make a nearer approach unto their principles, I shall chiefly insist on the examination of those original authors by whom their notions were first coined, and whose weapons they make use of in their defense. Eighthly, to close these previous discourses, it is worthy our consideration what weight was laid on this doctrine of justification at the First Reformation, and what influence it had into the whole work thereof. However the minds of men may be changed as unto sundry doctrines of faith among us, yet none can justly own the name of Protestant, but he must highly value the First Reformation. And they cannot well do otherwise whose present even temporal advantages are resolved thereunto. However, I intend none but such as own an especial presence and guidance of God with them who are eminently and successfully employed therein. Such persons cannot but grant that their faith in this matter and the concurrence of their thoughts about its importance are worthy consideration.
Now, it is known that the doctrine of justification gave the first occasion to the whole work of Reformation, and was the main thing whereon it turned. This those mentioned declared to be non-English words, and that the vindication thereof alone deserved all the pains that were taken in the whole endeavor of Reformation. But things are now, and that by virtue of their doctrine herein, much changed in the world, though it be not so understood or acknowledged. In general, no small benefit redounded unto the world by the Reformation, even among them by whom it was not, nor is received, though they may bluster with contrary pretensions. For all the evils which have accidentally ensued thereon, arising most of them from the corrupt passions and interests of them by whom it has been opposed, are usually ascribed unto it. And all the light, liberty, and benefit of the minds of men which it has introduced are ascribed unto other causes. But this may be signally observed with respect unto the doctrine of justification, with the causes and effects of its discovery and vindication. For the first reformers found their own and the consciences of other men so immersed in darkness, so pressed and harassed with fears, terrors, and disquietments under the power of it, and so destitute of any steady guidance into the ways of peace with God, as that with all diligence, like persons sensible that herein their spiritual and eternal interest was concerned, they made their inquiries after the truth in this matter, which they knew must be the only means of their deliverance. All men in those days were either kept in bondage under the endless fears and anxieties of mind upon the convictions of sin, or sent for relief unto indulgences, priestly pardons, penances, pilgrimages, or satisfactory work of their own and supererogatory of others, or kept under chains of darkness for purgatory unto the last day. Now he is no way able to compare things past and present, who sees not how great an alteration is made in these things, even in the papal church. For before the Reformation, whereby the light of the gospel, especially in this doctrine of justification, was diffused among men and shown even into their minds, who never comprehended nor received it, the whole almost of religion among them was taken up with and confined unto these things, and to instigate men unto an abounding seduity in the observation of them, their minds were stuffed with traditions and stories of visions, apparitions, frightful spirits, and other imaginations that poor mortals are apt to be amazed with all, and which their restless disquietments gave countenance unto. Non-English words were the principal objects of their creed and matter of their religious conversation. That very church itself comparatively at ease from these things unto what it was before the Reformation, though so much of them is still retained as to blind the eyes of men from discerning the necessity as well as the truth of the evangelical doctrine of justification. It has fallen out herein not much otherwise than it did at the first interest of Christianity into the world. For there was an emanation of light and truth from the gospel which affected the minds of men, by whom yet the whole of it, in its general design, was opposed and persecuted. For from thence the very vulgar sort of men became to have better apprehensions and notions of God and his properties 
or the original and rule of the universe than they had arrived unto in the midnight of their paganism. And a sort of learned speculative men there were who, by virtue of that light of truth which sprung from the gospel and was now diffused into the minds of men, reformed and improved the old philosophy, discarding many of those falsehoods and impertinencies wherewith it had been encumbered. But when this was done, they still maintained their cause in the old principles of the philosophers, and, indeed, their opposition unto the gospel was far more plausible and pleadable than it was before. For after they had discarded the gross conceptions of the common sort about the divine nature and rule, and had blended the light of the truth which break forth in Christian religion with their own philosophical notions, they made a vigorous attempt for the reinforcement of heathenism against the main design of the gospel. And things have not, as I said, fallen out much otherwise in the Reformation. For as by the light of truth which therein break forth, the consciousness of even the vulgar sort are in some measure freed from those childish affrightments which they were before in bondage unto. So those who are learned have been enabled to reduce the opinions and practices of their church into a more defensible posture and make their opposition unto the truths of the gospel more plausible than they formerly were. Yea, that doctrine which, in the way of its teaching and practice among them, as also in its effects on the consciences of men, was so horrid as to drive innumerable persons from their communion in that and other things also, is now, in the new representation of it, with the artificial covering provided for its former effects in practice, thought an argument meet to be pleaded for a return unto its entire communion. But to root the superstitions mentioned out of the minds of men, to communicate unto them the knowledge of the righteousness of God, which is revealed from faith to faith, and thereby to deliver them from their bondage, fears, and distress, directing convinced sinners unto the only way of solid peace with God, did the first reformers labor so diligently in the declaration and vindication of the evangelical doctrine of justification. And God was with them. And it is worth our consideration whether we should, on every cavail and sophism of men not so taught, not so employed, not so tried, not so owned of God as they were, in whose writings there are not appearing such characters of wisdom, sound judgment, and deep experience as in theirs, easily part with that doctrine of truth, wherein alone they found peace unto their own souls, and whereby they were instrumental to give liberty and peace with God unto the souls and consciences of others innumerable, accompanied with the visible effects of holiness of life and fruitfulness in the works of righteousness unto the praise of God by Jesus Christ. In my judgment, Luther spake the truth when he said, non-English words, and I wish that he had not been a true prophet when he foretold that in the following ages the doctrine thereof would be again obscured, the causes whereof I have elsewhere inquired into. Some late writers, indeed, among the Protestants, have endeavored to reduce the controversy about justification with the Papists unto an appearance of a far less real difference than is usually judged to be in it. And a good work it is, no doubt, 
to pair off all unnecessary occasions of debate and differences in religion, provided we go not so near and quick as to let out any of its vital spirits. The way taken herein is to proceed upon some concessions of the most sober among the Papists, and in their ascriptions unto grace and the merit of Christ on the one side, and the express judgment of the Protestants, variously delivered, of the necessity of good works to them that are justified on the other. Besides, it appears that in different expressions which either party adhere unto, as it were by tradition, the same things are indeed intended. Among them who have labored in this kind, Lavodicus Leblanc, for his perspicuity and plainness, his moderation and freedom from a contentious frame of spirit is non-English words. Footnote. A theologian who published in 1663 a work entitled Non-English Words and in 1683 his non-English words were also published. End footnote. He is like the ghost of Tiresias. Footnote. A blind seer who lived in the time of the War of the Seven against Thebes and a prominent character in the mythical literature of Greece. In the lower regions, his shade retained the faculty of perception denied to the souls of other mortals. End footnote. He is like the ghost of Tiresias in this matter. But I must needs say that I have not seen the effect that might be desired of such an undertaking. For when each party comes unto the interpretation of their own concessions, which is non-English words, to be allowed unto them, and which they will be sure to do in compliance with their judgment on the substance of the doctrine wherein the main stress of the difference lies, the distance and breach continue as wide as ever they were. Nor is there the least ground towards peace obtained by any of our condescensions or compliance herein. For unless we can come up entirely unto the decrees and canons of the Council of Trent, wherein the doctrine of the Old and New Testament is anathematized, they will make no other use of any man's compliance, but only to increase the clamor of differences among ourselves. I mention nothing of this nature to hinder any man from granting whatever he can or please unto them, without the prejudice of the substance of truth professed in the Protestant churches, but only to intimate the uselessness of such concessions, in order unto peace and agreement with them, whilst they have a procrustious bread to lay upon us, and from whose size they will not recede. Here and there, one, not above three or four, in all may be named within this one hundred and thirty years. In the Roman communion has owned our doctrine of justification for the substance of it. So did Albertus Piccius and the Antitagma Colonician, as Bellarmine acknowledges. And what he says of Pigius is true, as we shall see afterwards. The other I have not seen. Cardinal Contrariness, in a treatise of justification written before and published about the beginning of the Council of Trent, delivers himself in favor of it. But upon the observation of what he had done, some say he was shortly after poisoned, though I must confess I know not where they had the report. But do what we can for the sake of peace, 
as too much cannot be done for it, with the safety of the truth, it cannot be denied, but that the doctrine of justification, as it works effectually in the church of Rome, is the foundation of many enormities among them, both in judgment and practice. They do not continue, I acknowledge, in that visible predominancy and rage as formerly, nor are the generality of the people in so much slavish bondage unto them as they were. But the streams of them do still issue from this corrupt fountain unto the dangerous infection of the souls of men. For mythical expiatory sacrifices for the living and the dead, the necessity of auricular confession with authoritative absolution, penances, pilgrimages, sacramentals, indulgences, commutations, works satisfactory and supererogatory, the merit and intercession of the saints departed, with a special devotions and applications to this or that particular saint or angel, purgatory, yea, on the matter, the whole of monastic devotion do depend thereon. They are all nothing but ways invented to pacify the consciences of men, or divert them from attending to the charge which is given in against them by the law of God. Sorry supplies they are of a righteousness of their own, for them who know not how to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. And if the doctrine of free justification by the blood of Christ were once again exploded, or corrupted and made unintelligible, unto these things as absurd and foolish as now unto some they seem to be, or what is not one jot better, men must and will again betake themselves. For if once they are diverted from putting their trust in the righteousness of Christ and the grace of God alone, and do practically thereon follow after, take up with, or rest in, that which is their own, the first impressions of a sense of sin which shall befall their consciences, will drive them from their present hold, to seek for shelter in anything that tenders unto them the least appearance of relief. Men may talk and dispute what they please whilst they are at peace in their own minds, without a real sense either of sin or righteousness, yea, and scoff at them who are not under the power of the same security. But when they shall be awakened with other apprehensions of things, then yet they are aware of, they will be put on new resolutions. And it is in vain to dispute with any about justification who have not duly been convinced of a state of sin and of its guilt. For such men neither understand what they say, nor that whereof they dogmatize. We have, therefore, the same reasons that the first reformers had, to be careful about the preservation of this doctrine of the gospel pure and entire, though we may not expect the like success with them in our endeavors unto that end. For the minds of the generality of men are in another posture than they were when they dealt with them. Under the power of ignorance and superstition they were, but yet multitudes of them were affected with a sense of guilt of sin. With us, for the most part, things are quite otherwise. Notional light, accompanied with a senselessness of sin, leads men unto a contempt of this doctrine, indeed of the whole mystery of the gospel. We have had experience of the fruits of the faith, which we now plead for in this nation, 
for many years, yea, now for some ages. And it cannot well be denied, but that those who have been most severely tenacious of the doctrine of justification by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ have been the most exemplary in a holy life. I speak of former days. And if this doctrine be yet farther corrupted, debased, or unlearned among us, we shall quickly fall into one of the extremes wherewith we are at present urged on either side. For although the reliefs provided in the Church of Rome for the satisfaction of the consciences of men are at present by the most disliked, yea, despised, yet if they are once brought to a loss how to place their whole trust and confidence in the righteousness of Christ and the grace of God in Him, they will not always live at such an uncertainty of mind as the best of their own personal obedience will hang them on the briars of, but betake themselves unto somewhat that tenders them certain peace and security, though at present it may seem foolish unto them. And I doubt not but that some, out of a mere ignorance of the righteousness of God, which either they have not been taught or have had no mind to learn, have, with some integrity in the exercise of their consciences, betaken themselves unto that pretended rest which the church of Rome offers unto them. For being troubled about their sins, they think it better to betake themselves unto that great variety of means for the ease and discharge of their consciences which the Roman church affords, than to abide where they are, without the least pretense of relief. As men will find in due time, there is no such thing to be found or obtained in themselves. They may go on for a good time with good satisfaction unto their own minds. But if once they are brought unto a loss through the conviction of sin, they must look beyond themselves for peace and satisfaction or sit down without them to eternity. Nor are the principles and ways which others take up with all in other extreme upon the rejection of this doctrine, although more plausible, yet at all more really useful unto the souls of men than those of the Roman Church which they reject as obsolete and unsuited unto the genius of the present age. For they all of them arise from and lead unto the want of a due sense of the nature and guilt of sin, as also of the holiness and righteousness of God with respect thereunto, and when such principles as these do once grow prevalent in the minds of men, they quickly grow careless, negligent, secure in sinning, and end for the most part in atheism, or a great indifference, as unto all religion and all the duties thereof. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 
37A Avenue, Edmonton, AB, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.